Welcome to the latest episode of A Day in the Why. Today's guest is Danny Wilson, and you may not know it, but you've probably seen his work at one time or another around Knoxville or Tennessee or the U.S., because he's amazingly prolific and a highly skilled illustrator. Uh, he's been doing this for more than 30 years. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks, Rich. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm happy we could get together today because uh, what you do for a living is really closely aligned with some of my interests and with my college education. Um, illustration. Of course, I've followed your career since high school uh, with admiration and, and a little bit of jealousy uh, uh, <laughs> since early college. Uh, but I have a bit of I knew him back when uh, going on, too. Uh, full disclosure, I apprenticed with Danny uh, back in, I think, 93. Early 90s. I was trying to remember when uh, that was. Yeah, 93 or 94, yeah. Because uh, it would have been when I had come back from school uh, and right. come back to Knoxville for the summer. So it was yeah. definitely, I, I think it was 93. Okay. But, uh, you know, a right. couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had a, I had a blast uh, learning what an illustrator really had to do, uh, what they had to manage. And you, you know, with running errands and uh, organizing stuff, helping you with the Macintosh. Mm, oh, uh, yeah. Early, Very early. Early Adobe Very software. Early, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, I asked a lot of questions. So to start things off, illustration sounds like such a fun field. Surely it's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> could you give us an overview of what you're doing these days? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. I, um, As you said, I'm an illustrator. I'm a freelance illustrator, which I'm in my 32nd year freelancing here in, uh, in, Knox, in the Knoxville area. Before that, I worked in Atlanta and, uh, and then worked some in Knoxville before I went to Atlanta while I was still in school. But these days, you know, and we, we can talk about this, you know, what the type of work I do has, has evolved through the years and changed and I've kind of had to adapt. But primarily what I, I would say 75% of my work is concept sketches for what's called experiential marketing or event marketing. It's I always had a hard time knowing how to explain what that is. But for instance, if Coca-Cola uh, wants to start promoting Coke Zero or whatever. They may do a nationwide tour where they set up a tent or a tractor trailer. And it has a, some kind of interactive thing that they want you to do. They're going to capture your email address or whatever and they're going to give you a sample. So it's basically kind of sampling type of marketing, but it usually involves interactive things that, that people do. And the reason that I get so much work from that industry is each one of these things are are very specifically designed for that customer. And they tell me when they're the marketing company I'm working for, they tell me when they put a drawing in their presentation or in their pitch of what this thing's going to look like when it's set up, that their chances of making the sale just skyrocket. So what I'm doing are sketches to give something visual to a concept that they're pitching to the to Coca-Cola or whoever the client is. It helps them explain it, basically. That Industry is something that I've I got into with Whittle Communications in the early 90s. In fact, I had was started to do some of that stuff when you were there. That slowly over my career has become my main source of income. And it's it's the one thing I market myself nationally. I do a lot of different things locally and regionally, but that's the one thing I'm known for nationally. And like I said, it's probably 75% of my work now. Uh, in addition to that, I do a lot of other different types of things. The Knoxville clients that I have or you know, people in the region, uh, I've always in my career been a little bit of a jack of all trades as far as illustration. It's interesting as I went through school at UT in the early, early 80s and then as I was in Atlanta, it was always you need to have a style. You need to do one thing. And I will say in a large market like Atlanta, that was true. And I kind of was working toward that. But when I came back to Knoxville, I realized... There's not many illustrators here. This was in the late 80s. I do a lot of different things. I like doing a lot of different types of illustration. So I realized that was a strength in a smaller market. You, so, were, you were trying to, if I recall, you were doing a lot of stuff with Airbrush back in the day. And that was part of your yes. Atlanta look. Yes, I did. So I, as I was, like even in high school, I got an Airbrush and I learned how to, I did a lot of t-shirts and stuff. So I learned how to draw with the Airbrush. So it became a tool for me. And pre-digital work, and you know, airbrush illustration was a big deal, and it was not—it was something not everybody could do, and it was a—it was a hot thing for a while, you know, in the '70s, early in '80s. So, um, yeah, I did do a lot of airbrush, and then, of course, as I started working digitally, just 
obviously that stuff I do in Photoshop now. But you didn't have to unclog the uh, the jets nearly as often. <laughs> no, occasionally. <laughs> yeah, not not nearly as often. It's definitely and my lungs are happier, I think. From but anyway, I, I didn't mean to dive down in that deeply that quickly, but that's that kind of gives a little bit of a picture of what I'm doing is I do a lot of different types of things, but I do have this one thing that is my primary thing that I pursue. Given that the three quarters of your work now is coming from this, what, what did you call it again? It's experiential marketing, experiential or, marketing. or event marketing. That's, okay. Those are the two things that goes by. So event marketing, that's going to be somewhat market specific in terms of the the sources. So do you find that a lot of your work is coming out of New York or Chicago or LA? Yes. It's almost... All of it's New York or L.A. I do have a client in Baltimore. I get some from Atlanta. And I used to most of that used to come from Chicago when I had one particular client up there that I no longer do work for. But right now, it's that work is split pretty evenly between New York and Los Angeles. Now, COVID has disrupted that, obviously, because that whole industry is about designing spaces to attract large groups of people. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, it that pretty much kind of shut down right. that whole industry. And uh, so I, I, I still got some things trickling in from those same clients as they were trying to find other ways to keep their businesses going. But it's it's starting to come back, especially as New York City starts to open back up. I'm starting to get more and more of that coming back in. I do some, I do concept sketches for some local clients, but it's not event marketing like I haven't done as much for discovery but with when Scripps Networks was still here I did a lot of concept sketches for them for their photo shoots of their hosts mm-hmm. because what they would say is we want you to help us work out what shots we want to do so we can have something to show the photographer instead of paying the photographer's rate to just start from a blank slate and figure it out if we've worked out these things it saves them money on the uh, back end so I would do and concepts. they can reuse your work that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, and then University of Tennessee Athletics, through the years, I've done a lot of concept sketches for them when they're thinking about building a new athletic facility or, or renovating one. What they would use my concept sketches for is very early in the process, same thing, and they would use it to start building excitement and fundraising. And it, it may not end up, probably not going to end up looking like what I've done, because I'm not an architect. Right. Usually they would get me involved even before the architects just to Get something out of their head onto paper and say, like, here's the soccer stadium we're thinking about building. And they would use that to start potential donors. The coaches would use it in recruiting to say, here's what we're going to build. You know, so it's all the concept sketches that I've done. I mean, both of those industries is usually early in the process, getting an idea out of somebody's head onto paper. And uh, that's something I didn't. I didn't, you know, early on, I didn't think, oh, I want to be a concept sketch artist. I, it's just something that uh, I started getting that kind of work. I liked it. It pays well, especially in that experiential marketing industry because, you know, they're trying to get multi-million dollar accounts. Right. So they don't mind spending a few thousand, <laughs> a few hundred or a few thousand to get some drawings to help them get that. Right. So it became a very good uh, source of income. You know, not a lot of illustrators would be satisfied with just doing sketches. I found I found that I really liked it. I do think probably my finishing my finished illustration skills have, have slacked through the years, but I, I enjoy the sketches, and my clients seem to be really really happy. And I don't think there's a lot of people working, well, a lot of illustrators working in that industry. So a lot of times when I get a new client, they're like wow, thank you so much. This is so helpful. Because they've been... what If they don't have a specific image, what they do is it's like a mood board. You know, they'll, they'll just pull right. pull images off the line. So it'll be sort of like this and sort of like this. And here's the colors we're going to use. But when you can give them an image of their thing you're pitching, that's why they hit say it helps. From a, a cognitive perspective, what you're asking them to do in, the, in that scenario where they're using a mood board, et cetera, is essentially the customer that you would normally work with. They themselves have to basically build that mental model themselves from all right. these composite images. And then anyone they're pitching to also has to build that mental model, right? Yep. They don't necessarily agree on what that mental model that's is. Right. Uh, and you can think you're on the same page. In fact, this is that's an interesting point. Uh, one of the guys at UT Athletics that's over facilities, he would call me sometimes to do a drawing, and he would say, here's why I need this. He said, I can sit across the table 
from my builder and, and describe exactly what I want. And he's describing it back to me and maybe even some little rudimentary napkin sketches or whatever. But we think we're seeing the same thing in our head and he'll build it. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so <laughs> That's would, nothing like what we had talked yeah, about. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they picture it differently in their head. So he said, when I get you to do a drawing, put that on the table in between us. We're both on the same page. Yep. And it saves money in the long run. Yeah. So. It's, it's clarifying intentions, you know, yeah. clarifying right. vision. Yep. And so I just want to say, you know, as an illustrator, you know, usually, I mean, that sounds like a very utilitarian thing and, and it's not really creative or, you know, I'm not, uh, you think of illustrators as doing book covers or illustrating books or posters or whatever. And I do some of that. This is a very, just a different side of the industry that is a niche that I found and that I found that I liked and that it helped keep my business afloat as yeah, well. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that what you're doing, and, and we've had talks about how being an illustrator is kind of a soul, uh, you know, maybe a lonely business, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But this facet of illustration in particular, I think probably demands a great deal of empathy and active listening skills uh, because you're having to really draw from the ether their intentions, their goals for this project. And, and even what you're delivering is going to be kind of an intangible thing. It's not going to be a permanent finished thing right um so how, how does that impact you in terms of your your need to be super intent on their uh, what they're feeding you absolutely and that's one thing that i i think i have developed better listening skills through the years and it's something that i've noticed that i do because i will if there's a if there's a if they're asking a question about why did i do this and i'll say well here's what you said and they're like oh well, I didn't mean that, <laughs> you know. So it's it's uh, it makes that communication really important. Most of my, it's interesting how the different clients give me information differently. I have some clients who will they'll send me an email uh, that just basically bullet points everything, everything they want, and they've really thought it through and they've actually designed the space already, and they'll do the mood boards that they've used in house before they even come to me, and and those are those are you know, they're very easy to follow and they've thought it through. Others are a little bit more just conceptual and it'll change as I'm working on it and things like that. So I kind of have to, I learn which clients operate which way and all of them are open to me having input into that, you know, and saying, you know, this would work better if you did this or why is this here? It seems to be interrupting the flow of the people coming through or something like that. They're all open to that. So they do want my input, even though my primary function is just to give them a visual of what's in their head. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not just uh, delivering a picture. You're, you're, you're helping them tell a specific story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, that's, that's a good point. And I've learned through the years kind of what these things need to, how they work, because they're, they're, a lot of them are similar. Now, I've done things... There's a wide variety, and some like I do. I've done a lot of different things for booths that were going to be at, at the Comic Con in San Diego, and some of them are humongous. Some of them take up a, a half a block, you know, outdoors. Like who was the network? It was uh, Prime Video. So you know, they had a different event set up for all of their different shows. You know, each one had a was themed after that show. So I'm I'm drawing this you know, 200 foot by 150 foot space. And uh, then some of them are just, it's just a kiosk or it's just a tent. But uh, it's a wide variety of setups and exhibit uh, exhibit design. And it's wide open as far as, I started to say they're all a lot alike because there's a lot of tents, 10 by 10 tent right. or whatever, or tractor trailers that are branded and they open up into a stage or, or you go in it or whatever. I think That's a lot of you were coming from the, the perspective of different clients communicate with you differently. Yes. Uh, presumably drawing that out to uh, four different needs yes. and different scale of needs. That's right. That's right. Uh, like the ones, the ones that are a little bit looser with their information, the one of the first questions I need to ask is, you know, what size footprint are we talking about here? Because they can describe something and in my head I'm thinking this could be 10 by 10 or this could be you know, 100 by 100, it depends on what space you have available and what's your budget to do this tour or whatever, this event. So that's one of my first questions is trying to nail down what are we talking, what's the space we're talking about, and then we get into the specifics of um, what goes in what goes in that space and what the interaction is going to be. 
And presumably, uh, you, you also try to tie that to the end goal, not just, hey, we want to test out this latest beverage from Coke, but our goal ultimately is to build positive public impressions of Coca-Cola as a whole, as well right. as testing perception for a, a new product. Yes. Yeah. It's it's supposed to all be a very positive experience. That's That's the whole thing behind it being experiential instead of just walk in here and get a sample is they want you to have an experience um, of trying something or sometimes it's not even related to the product. You know, come in and play a game of ping pong and we'll right. give you whatever. But uh, as a lot of times it is related, but they want you to have a fun, uh, a little interactive experience. And like I said, part of their part of their goal is to you usually have to give them your email address. Right. They'll have an iPad and you put in your mm-hmm. email address. That's part of what they're doing is capturing uh, market that way. And then and then you get whatever sample that they're they're giving out. So yeah, it's all to be to to help build very a lot of positivity around a brand. Usually people are giving you free stuff. That's a positive thing. Let me ask you, you've been in a room by yourself for thirty two years, um, Danny. <laughs> That's right. Thanks for letting me out. <laughs> what are your favorite elements of being your own boss and, and kind of being this this creative conduit? That's a, a great question. I um, fortunately, personality wise, I I don't mind being alone. I mean, I'm, I would consider myself an introvert, but I still like people and I, I, I like interacting with people, but it does not bother me to, to work alone and go to lunch alone and come back and work alone. <laughs> so uh, I think that's part of it. I'm kind of built for that. In fact, I've always wondered what, what would it be like if I was working in an office with a hundred people or what the, the buzz, I don't know how I would do yeah, it. Yeah, could you handle it? Right. Yeah, so early in my career, I worked. Okay, so I worked when I was still in school. I worked at the Knoxville Journal as an illustrator in a newsroom. So that was kind of exciting. And but even then, I was off in my own. I, I basically used Charlie Daniels' office. You know, he was the cartoonist, and he had his own office. Mm-hmm. And that's where they put me when he was not there. I was in there, so I was sort of off by myself anyway. But that was kind of exciting. I worked in Atlanta for I basically apprenticed with a guy. So it was just me and him. Uh, I went to a studio for a little while where there were five illustrators. I was later less than a year. Came to Knoxville, worked as a designer in with Dina Fulton and Robin Easter uh, at a place called Graphic Graphics and Consulting. There were four of us there. I was there for a year. And since then, I've been on my own. So even the times I did have, I was working with other people. There were smaller, there were smaller uh, places. But as far as what I like about it, I, I don't know if I think it helps. It helps me be focused on what I'm doing and being able to being my own boss. I mean, I can set my own schedule. Uh, of course, you know, there's pros and cons to this. So I'm giving you the pros <laughs> right now. Well, so, my next question is going to be the, <laughs> the, the the inverse, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, set my own schedule, have flexibility, especially when I had younger kids. I have the flexibility to like, oh, go to the school and watch them in the spelling bee or whatever, you know. Um, so that's always been nice to, to be flexible with my schedule. I think it does it does help me get my work done. I, if I was being distracted constantly when I'm working on a deadline, that would be counterproductive for me. I don't know. It's just it's nice to be able to sit in a studio and turn on the music I want to listen to or podcast or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm not having to worry about anybody else. Well, the, the, there's the concept of flow, right? Being in a flow state mm-hmm. um, where, where suddenly everything just engages and you're in sync with the universe and you can just go, go, go. Yeah. I imagine having your own studio and being able to control your environment to the nth degree yeah. is a big part of being able to quickly get into that flow state. I think that's true. And what's I've thought about that recently because it's really interesting, as I was telling you uh, before we started recording, I've just just moved into a new studio and it's bigger and it's and because it's brand new you know there are still a few things to be done and I'm finding myself being distracted uh, in a way that I wasn't in my previous studio because I was working in, in a loft area in our house and it was a smaller and I kind of got in the groove there now that I've moved into a new space and I'll, I'll get in that groove but I find myself it's different it's you've like got projects diff- now <laughs> You've got you've got right. you've got home improvement you've got you've got nesting to do that's still that's, in this new space well it's just being in a diff changing the environment, even though it's all my stuff, it's all the same stuff I've had through my career in there. You know, all my books are out again and uh, an easel, which I didn't have room for in, you know, my other space. But I just, it's, I find I'm having to adjust again to the new environment. I've only been in this new studio a couple of weeks, so mm-hmm. it's it's still brand new to me, but I, I love it. That's not a complaint. It's just, um, it's just something I've thought about. Uh, but yeah, I, I love being, the, the downside of being, 
freelancer or part of its business stuff. I don't know that there's much of a downside to me personally of working alone. I don't. And here's one reason why. And this this will probably come up later too. One thing I try to do is because I work at home or in my own studio and I like it. If I, I go out to eat at lunch every day because. I would go stir crazy if I didn't get out right. and come back. You gotta I have find, some exposure to the real world. I right? find that that rhythm really works. I get a good. I, I, sometimes I'll start really early working. I'll get a good amount of work done in the morning. I'll go out, and I come back, and I'm ready to jump back in again. So what I've done through the years is I use that lunchtime to try to connect with people, and either either people you know that I know through my church or people that have ask me advice about, oh, I'm, I want to go out on my own, either in art or I just want to start my own business, and I know you've done that. All kinds of things like that. I try to use that time as a time to mentor people or to just connect with people and also get advice for myself from people that 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 I learn from. So that's become part of that whole rhythm. Well, you're feeding your body and you're feeding your soul, right? That's right. And the days that I go to, the days I go to lunch by myself, which is still probably most of them, uh, it's a time I get to sit and read. And I do like to read. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. I kind of feel like I'm feeding my soul when I'm, when I'm doing that. Normally I would ask if there was something you want to, to remove from what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, something you, that's, that's, uh, if you could minimize it or, or, or take it out of, of your career, would you do that? It sounds like the answer is no. Yeah, well, I, you know, the only thing I can think of is, now I will say that everything, even the negative sides of my career have all, you know, as you say, you learn from everything and I wouldn't be who I am if this hadn't happened or whatever. But I would say if I look at my whole career and think think back about, you know, I've not always, <laughs> I've not always been busy. You know, it does, it is a roller coaster, as most freelancers know. I think the, the uncertainty uh, is of where the work's coming from. It's not as much that way now, but especially early in my career, that was tough. And uh, the uncertainty of, when are they going to pay me? <laughs> right. Not only so, uh, is, is, when's the next job coming down, but now that I've done the job, when are they actually going to send yeah, me the money? Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've had to stop working with a couple of really good clients because they took so long to pay that it totally disrupted the, everything about my business. Uh, the cash flow and, you know, should I take this on from them when I know they're not going to pay me for three to six months sometimes. Yeah, that's not worth so it. I've, so anyway, that's, yeah, so the that those the uncertainty has been the thing in the past that's been the hardest about being a freelancer. As I said, as I've gone further in my career, that's, there's not quite as much up and down, but it's still it's still a part, it's still an element that I no, deal that, with. No, that's fair, and I, I think that's going to be probably a repeated refrain anytime I'm talking to somebody who essentially is a freelancer mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in that they have to do everything, right? They have to go out and do the business development. They have to do the billing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to do the follow-up and the delivery. And, oh, yeah, actually do the work. Yep, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, so so one thing I, I, I kind of jokingly tell people is, even though I've been doing this this long, is, uh, like, for instance, right now, I've got, so I've got two jobs in that I'm working on. One's a pretty decent-sized job that I'll work on for a couple weeks. The other one I haven't started on yet. It'll be similar. But... That's it. Right. I don't have any income beyond these jobs, as far right. as I can tell. You have to just trust, right? Yeah. You just so, have, to have faith. So what I jokingly tell people is, even though I'm on a 30-second year, there's still something in the back of my mind sometimes that I'm like, boy, I hope this freelance thing works out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, it's because it's, it's it seriously is a series of, I've got two or three jobs in, and it just keeps going. And so let me ask you this, Dan. What are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. Okay, well, now that we have an idea of what you're doing these days, uh, I want to kind of take a step back and figure out what led you here. Okay. So what would you say are the most influential stepping stones in your life that, that put you here, that put you here on the path? Uh, maybe that's the influence of family or friends or the first job that you held over the summer, significant life experiences, eureka moments. Yeah, I well, I have to start with just the influence of my parents. I always loved to draw. I mean, as long as far back as I can remember, I've been known as the kid who could draw. My parents really encouraged that, and they not only encouraged it as a fun thing to do, but as I was getting older, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. They were totally supportive of me pursuing this. And my dad could draw, and I found out later 
when he was a young man, he had taken one of these correspondence courses to be an illustrator. He grew up poor, couldn't really afford to do that. But he he knew that desire. And I think that, and then he and my mom both were just so supportive of me pursuing this, even though, you know, I would have other friends who were maybe equally as interested or talented or whatever, whose parents were like, uh, no, you're not going to go to art school. <laughs> you're going to get a real job or whatever. And so that's, it starts with that for sure. As I mentioned, be having that as part of my identity as a kid and kind of getting some self-esteem about having this ability that not everybody had it's uh, it's almost like having my own little superpower or something <laughs> that i think just the the positive nature of getting positive feedback from people about about being able to draw obviously i would think that influenced me to keep wanting to pursue it i didn't know how i'd make a living as an artist until i got into college and started learning about it i mean as a kid i thought okay There's Walt Disney cartoons, there's comic strips, there's comic books. I guess I'm going to do one of those because that's the only places I can see people drawing. That was your understanding of the world at that point. Yeah, right. So so then when I got into uh, college and started learning a little bit more about illustration, and I saw that there was a, you know, and at that point there's like, there's a commercial path to use these gifts and there's a a fine art path, you know, and I, my concentration was in graphic design, illustration, and that wasn't a struggle to make that decision. That's what I wanted to do. I, I was not at that point somebody who was interested in fine art and the kind of thinking and the philosophy and things that go with that. I was more of a, I want to be an illustrator or a comic mm-hmm. book artist or yeah. something like that. So in college, and then even in college, I did at one point, even in that concentration, when I got to my senior level classes, you had to decide, do you want to follow a graphic design path or an illustration path? And do... You know, they would they would say, you know, it's going to be easier to get a job as a designer. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I'm like, I, I love to draw. That's what I want to do. I like graphic design. I can do it, but I want to be an illustrator. And so that was a, a little bit of a pivot point there where I had to decide one way or the other. Yeah. And it changed the trajectory of my classes, which then, then changed the trajectory of my early career as well. And then after I graduated, I went to Atlanta and I connected with a guy named Ian Greathead who was a he was a freelance illustrator in Atlanta. He was an airbrush illustrator. And he was he had so much work that he was having to turn down. He I had in fact, I went to there was a couple of studios. This was back in the 80s, so there were illustration studios that existed. Whole Hog Studios, one was called Brown Dog, and I would I interviewed at these places and they just weren't they didn't have an opening, you know. But one of these guys said, oh, you should call Ian. He's he's thinking about starting a studio. And I called him while I was in Atlanta the day after I graduated and went and saw him. And he said, well, I wasn't going to start this for an, another six or eight months, but he said, I really like what you're doing here. So he gave me a job. I started working. I moved down there a couple weeks later and kind of worked as an apprentice under him for about three years. So I, that's where I really started to learn the business. You know, that's, and that's that. where you started picking up your credibility. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, working with him helped helped me. And then also I learned how to really take my illustration to the next level as far as professionally, like what it had to look like. I mean, right. it has to be, there has to be a level of finish there that I wasn't really Presentation skills. Yeah. 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 So that that was a big point. I would think those are the big stepping stones that put me in as far as freelancing so I came back to Knoxville to work uh, as a designer and to do in-house illustration at this firm. And we started marketing my illustration out to other people in town and just a lot of a lot of work coming back in. So I thought there's a better market here than I realized. And I'm, I've got clients in Atlanta that I could still get work from. And I, so I only worked there for a year and I started freelancing in 1989. So, so you actually had only been freelancing for a few years when I, when I uh, uh, That's right. came over and shattered you. Yeah. That's right. I, 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 came, I became aware of your work first through SPC, yes. uh, through the, the Wheelers. I started working at their warehouse. Uh, I was their, their shipping manager. Okay. And so I, I made sure that, that all the orders that came in every day were fulfilled, were packaged, were shipped. Um, okay. And uh, of course, in the process, I'm handling the books daily, yeah. and I'm looking at the same covers again and again and again. <laughs> and I noticed that some of the covers were these abstract 
generic, low quality uh, <laughs> business uh, and process type illustrations. Yeah. You know, just kind of vintage 1980 textbook type yeah, stuff. Right. Uh, but then some of their books were just beautifully illustrated. Just yeah. had uh, amazing illustrations on the front. Uh, really nice combinations of, of, of slipcover col- colors mm-hmm. and the uh, the chosen uh, illustrations. At that point, I realized, okay, they're they're working with somebody local on this. Mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta meet this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fran, a great friend of mine and, and, and yours, she, yeah. she made the introduction, and uh, that's what led to me thinking, hey, maybe I can apprentice for this guy yeah. someday. Were you in high school then? I was in high school That's then. what I was yeah. thinking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That's that's cool. I remember that's how we got connected. And then when you came back and we worked together, were you like on break while you were in college, or was that after college? Uh, that was on summer break okay. between years of college okay yeah, that's yeah. what i was thinking yeah yeah, yeah. so the first two, the first two years of college uh at the columbus college of art and design going yep. for illustration yeah i came back over the summers and and lived at home yeah that was cool that was and that was early on in my like i said earlier that was early on in the concept sketch stuff that i was starting to get from whittle communications mm-hmm. is who got me started doing those because they opened up what they called whittle events and it was an event marketing division i had never heard of that before. And the way that started, there's a funny story. So I got a call from a, an art director that I knew down there. He said, Danny, are you very busy? And I'm like, no, why? What you got? And he said, well, they're wanting me to do this drawing and I don't want to do it. <laughs> and he was a designer. He was he could have done it, but he knew that's what I did. So he said, you want to do this? So I went down and it was for Coca-Cola. It was a thing called Coca-Cola Road Trip. And it was this event idea that they were pitching to Coke. And it need they needed a rendering, and of course it's again still pre digital. So they were they needed these things to be on foam core, mm-hmm. like big, like uh, twenty four by thirty six or something. Super vivid color, clean line, yeah. and, and solid presentation material. So like, like a rigid right. material. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So so I did this drawing for him, and I just thought this was a one off job. And when I delivered it, and like I said, it was blown up on foam core, so it was easy to see. There was a, a guy named Brad Weirs who had just started working there in the events division. And I remember him sticking his head up over his cubicle and going, hey, how much is one of those? And, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Literally, Brad is as, as responsible for the spread of my work around the country as anybody because he left there, went to Atlanta, then became um, over the division of Euro RSCG in Chicago, which that was their Chicago branch. of. They were the largest ad agency in the world at the time. And they were my biggest client for several years because of Brad. Uh, he would connect me with the, those divisions, and yeah, I've I've told him before. I've thanked him for <laughs> sticking his head over yeah, that cubicle. Yeah, because he seeded it for you, and then everybody that he worked with saw your work, and they went out to their their next yeah. destinations and, and brought their concept of you with them. Yeah, he I mean he called me that day with a job and yeah. said this is going to help my presentation so much. And from from that moment on, I started so for three straight years, uh, Whittle Communications was seventy percent of my business. And then I started hearing rumors, you know, they're going out of business. Yeah. I'm like, what? There yeah. is no way that huge company that just built this the great two implosion. block headquarters downtown. I actually moved my office downtown to be near them because I was driving down there two, three times a That's day. That's right. You were uh, you were in that, that JFG, uh, coffee, JFG coffee building. You were like on the third floor up there. Was it was it Satellite that was up there? Satellite Studio was what I was going by, but there was Atmosphere right, right. Pictures. Atmosphere is what I was thinking. And yeah. then Jupiter was in there too after a while. So, and Robin Easter was downstairs. But yeah, that's where I hooked up with the atmospheric pictures and Jupiter. I've done some work for them back back in the day. But um, yeah, anyway, that's how I got started in that whole thing with the, the, the event marketing thing was at Whittle Communications. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's all, I, I love hearing the, uh, the that initial turning point moment. It's huge. And, and it always seems like it's because someone was taking a risk, saying yes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, charging into the unknown. And yeah. that's why I, I always try to, to urge people to just go do stuff, do you know, it. make yeah. stuff happen. I mean, you could fail. Yeah. You could fail a bunch of times, but it's that one time that you succeed that leads to a lifetime of success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that's there's so much in my career goes back to that, that one little story. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about values and goals. Okay. Many of us don't closely reflect on our values and goals, but I, I think doing that from time to time can be really valuable, mm-hmm. especially since we change over time. And if you reevaluate, then you can see if you've drifted, if, if your actions, your your habits, et cetera, don't really reflect 
what your values and goals have changed to. Right, right. Uh, or maybe you just need to set new goals. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll have goals and then we'll outgrow those goals because we've grown to encompass them yeah. or we've fulfilled them and we never set any new goals up. Yeah. Could you sum up the values that you hold most dear? And you can be as specific or general sure. as you'd like. Yeah, I kind of think of that in, in two different ways. Uh, one kind of personally and then one with business. And not that they're counter to each other, but it's just a different way of communicating. So on a personal level, you know, when I think about values and what I want to reflect, what I want my life to reflect. So I think about the Apostle Paul in Galatians in the New Testament talks about what he calls the fruits of the Spirit. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I feel like those are the things that I would want my life to reflect. It doesn't always reflect those. And I, in fact, I think as as human beings, we it's it we don't naturally exhibit those to the degree that we could always. So that's why I feel like, you know, as a, it's a part of spiritual growth is to try to reflect those things in our life. And then that comes out in all kinds of ways, how we treat people, you know, how we see the world, how we, how we love our families and all those things. And it does also permeate into my business. As far as business values, the way I've tried to sum up what I try to do with my business is three things. Do good work, be a good communicator, and don't miss deadlines. That's the three things that I feel like if I'm doing those things, that's what's keeping me in business. You know, the, I've, got to, I've got to pay attention to the quality of the work. I can't let that slip. The one that has that I've learned the most over the years that I think is way more important than people think is be a good communicator. So much rides on that, especially in what I'm doing now with these these concept sketches. But in every job I do, be a good communicator. In fact, over communicate. I give people updates on jobs that they didn't ask for, and it makes them relax. Mm-hmm. And because especially if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't work with an illustrator very often, and they don't really know. You're, you're kind of training them to be a good client, right? And they don't—they don't know what to expect, and they're, sometimes they're super nervous. They think, okay, they're going to give me this job, agree to pay this amount of money, and they're not going to see anything until boom, it's finished. And I was like, what if I don't like it? You know? So I, what I do is—is is along the way, I'll say, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do a really loose sketch based on what we just talked about. I'm going to email you that, let you look at it, tell me we can tweak it from there. Then, as you know, as I get a little further along, I'll show you where I am. And that helps them relax. Oh, okay, I'm going to be involved in the process. To me, that's part of being a good communicator as a business person. And I just find that that helps, that helps everybody. It helps, mm-hmm. helps me too, because there may be things that have changed on their end that I find out in these communications that, oh, well, let's change that now instead of waiting until we're finished in changing it. So, And then don't miss deadlines. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast in this business is, especially, and I tell young people this, if you want to establish yourself as a credible vendor for a, a client, if you miss a deadline, you know, you can almost write them off. But if you can show, and a lot of times they'll start you on a, a, a simpler job or project that's not quite as crucial. And if you show that you can deliver good work and that you can deliver that work on time, then you're probably going to get another. Well, that's about risk, right? They're managing their risk by, by working with an unknown yeah. entity mm-hmm. and you can uh, do a great job with that and increase their perception of you and they'll be willing to take more risk with yep. you. Yeah, that's right? right. That's that's exactly how it works and that's how I have built up clients through the years is starting on a, a little simple job showing that I that I understand how important it is that I get that done on time and and that I do it well. So uh, yeah, so those are the three business values. I don't think we call those values, but that's the that's the guidelines that, that I put on myself to make sure. I think I kind of boiled it down to those three, and that's to me what's helped me sustain my business. Are there any specific goals that that you have set for yourself? Not so much as always be on time, right. but are there any more uh, quantitative goals that you've set for yourself, like? Maybe that's a certain number of clients or a certain um, number of jobs that you want to knock out per year. Or maybe it's a dollar figure so you can build the, the McMansion yeah. <laughs> version of the studio so you never actually have to do any work. You can always think about interior decorating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mean, there are, I do have certain thresholds on how much I try to bill per month. Just, But it's, it's not necessarily out of ego or whatever. It's like this is pretty much what I need to keep... <laughs> 
you know, to, to keep supporting my family. And, and, you know, if it drops down below that for too many months in a row that, okay, I've got to do something. If it's floating above that for several months in a row, I'm, I'm good. I'm in cruise control, you know. It's interesting that I don't, I don't do a lot of marketing, but I do I have from time to time, mainly because my business has spread word of mouth. And maybe I'm getting off on a different, a different question here. But as far as the goal, let's see, as far as the goals. So that's a kind of a, a loose goal, that monetary figure that mm-hmm. I'm just kind of watching out of the corner sure. of my eye. I think other things are, I do like to, you know, in a sense, give back. So that's why I'm talking about mentoring young students or young business people, just dialoguing with them. Incidentally, I've reached out to you a number of times over the years, and you've always had an open ear and uh, good insights for me. So thank you. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I've always enjoyed our conversations. And uh, yeah, I mean, we that's right. That's kind of one way that we we got to know each other. And so I feel like that's important to, so that's a, I guess that's a goal. I mean, that it's something that I strive to do. And I, I don't ever turn down opportunities to do that. I speak at a lot of, from kindergartners to universities, I speak about being an illustrator. Because at least in this part of the country, there's not a lot of us. I get asked to do that a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I try to never turn that down. And I enjoy it. Well, I know going through high school and, and realizing really early on that I wanted to be some sort of artist, I didn't think it was actually feasible until I got to high school and I learned about an illustrator. Right. right? Then I'm yeah. like, oh, commercial art. Okay, yeah. I get that now. Uh, and then I was exposed to someone who was actually doing it, and that was super valuable. I was also exposed to some some fine artists. Uh, right. Andrew Saftel, for example, mm-hmm. um, he actually came in and, and did a demo and in, in, I think it was sophomore year in, in, in uh, college, or high school. Uh, and so I realized, okay, at that point, mentally it clicked that you actually could make a living as a fine artist, where mm-hmm. always in my mind, this, this is probably just my background with a lot of engineering and, and mechanical yeah. type people uh, that were featuring in my life made it seem like that's just loosey-goosey stuff. You'll never make a living as an artist. Right, right? yeah. Um, you won't be able to keep a roof over your head. You'll be a starving artist, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that was a message I actually got a lot. Well, I, and so yeah, I being totally exposed to, to, to people that were making it as fine artists or making it as commercial artists was really uh, sort of an eye-opener for me. Yeah, Really yeah. thankful for that. Yeah, but, I think the, the only other thing is really, I mean, as you ask that question, I realize I don't know that I, I don't really set goals in a real concrete way. I'm just realizing this about myself. I know they're there, but basically my goal is to just keep doing what I'm doing because and, and just and just kind of adjusting and tweaking as it goes. So I don't really I will say that now that I'm thinking about it, there was a time probably 15 years ago when I I, I was doing a lot of different things. And I mean, it's probably longer ago than that because it was before the rendering thing, this concept sketch thing was my primary source of my income. But I was doing so many different things. I'm like, I really feel like I need to focus on two or three of these, or maybe even one, and just stop being spread out so thin and doing different Pick things. Pick something and do it really well. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so John Curry, who was one of the athletic directors at UFT at the time, suggested that I read a book called Good to Great. And that book helped me focus on... So I took, I remember taking a, a legal, a yellow legal pad and just kind of writing down, here's all the different types of work that I'm getting. And what's the pros and cons of each of these? So like at the time I was doing a lot of magazine illustration and I love doing magazine illustration. It's just, it doesn't pay peanuts, you know, at least at that time in the magazines I was working for. <laughs> so as much as I liked it and, you know, and they would, you would get your artwork back and you own the rights to it. So there was some, and then I would sell it to stockhouses and stuff like that. But the bottom line is it just didn't pay very much. And so I remember saying, okay, maybe not focus quite as much on that. Well, I've got, I'm starting to do these concept sketches and it really pays really well. It's quick turnaround. It's not high. It's the time might be high pressure, but it's not high pressure on having to do a really finished illustration. They're just sketches. And I remember thinking, they're your, real. your technical rigor is not super high. Right. Yeah. Yes. So I remember uh, whenever that was that I made that list that's, I was setting goals right there. And it's like, okay, I'm going to focus in, I'm going to be a little bit more focused. And that's really paid off long term. But just day to day, year to year, I don't find myself concretely setting goals, although I think they're probably in the back of my mind. But like I said, my my primary thing is just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, well, there, this is a good segue. Um, I, I'd like to talk about how you get all this stuff done. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so you know, 
you, you do a lot. You've managed to, to manage yourself, to manage a, a large stable of clients, manage a large, seemingly happy family. I mean, yeah. everyone seems like they're pretty, pretty happy having you, uh, you know, as a, as a father, a husband, et cetera. So uh, unless you have some deep, dark so. secrets, you've hidden very well. <laughs> so. Uh, so are there any tips and tricks or rituals, habits and practices that, that you found to be super effective? for your success in work and, and remaining aligned with your, with your values? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I, I, you know, just personally, just keeping grounded in my faith is something that's, that's part of the foundation of who I am and I hope who my family is. And so that I can't discount that. That's, that's kind of the rock bottom of the, the foundation of everything I do. So that's, that's certainly underlies everything. I think, you know, one thing is, even though I've done this for a long time, one thing I tell people when, like, say they're going to start uh, working at home or whatever, and I always say, all right, you've got to be disciplined. You know, the, the two dangers are you won't ever do your work, and the other danger is all you're going to do is work because it, you, don't, you never leave it. Right. So you have, to, you have to find a rhythm and a discipline about getting up, getting dressed, do your work, Try to cut it off when you can, and 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 my wife would say I probably work too much, and she's right. <laughs> but but at the same time, I think I've in general I think I've I've found that flow that works well for us. And it's not as big a deal now that we're empty nesters. You know, there's not not as it's we have a little more free time than we we used to have. So that's part of it, is discipline, just kind of finding that rhythm. As I talked about earlier, getting work done, going out, coming back. There's certain things like that that really helps helps me get done what I need to get done. I think the other things... So I, I want to try to tie that back to something okay, specific and tangible. Okay. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you have found it helpful to develop a specific linear routine mm-hmm. that you can follow consistently. Yes. Because that in itself, that, that regular practice, makes sure that you're following a set schedule and hitting the gas when you need to and, and leaving the car when you need to. I think so. And I think it's it's especially crucial early in your career to when you're kind of developing those habits. I probably as, am not as rigid as far as a start time and those kind of things like I, I may have used I may used to be, but because I've done it long enough now, I'm not worried about that I'm, you know, I'm not worried that I'm not going to want to get up and go do the work and but early on, I think that's something you have to you have to establish and yes, that that rhythm and that you find what works for you. It does, it's not the same for everybody, so that's why I can't just say, okay, you start at 8.15, and, you know, it's not the same for everybody. Some people work late at night and sleep late. Some people want to get up really early and start working and, you know, take off early. So whatever works for you, I think, is is the cool is the cool thing about being able to set those goals and those rhythms yourself. I think another thing that when you say, how do I get all this done, I'm trying to think of how to, I mean, I keep going different ways in my head about that, like, well, let me give you a hypothetical okay. situation. So yeah. I approach you as a uh, a new or existing client, but I've right. got a new, I've got a new job for you, right? How how are you capturing that information in a way okay. that you're you're making sure you do capture it all, and that you're associating it with a specific time and a place, and with specific deadlines and goals, okay. and specific people, you know, personalities, yeah. identities that are involved because you have to understand what the organizational structure of a company is that's mm-hmm. coming to you. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage all of that? Okay, that's good. That's that zeroes in on it a little bit better for me. So what I do is, you know, I used to uh, I used to have post-it notes all over my computer screen. <laughs> now there's a there's a program called Stickies that basically makes a post-it note, but it's actually on the in the monitor. So I use one of those. I've got one that I have all my jobs that I'm working on or things that I've talked to somebody about that haven't come in yet. Long, you know, long term, short term, whatever jobs that I've finished that I need to invoice. So I've got that little job list. So from a practical uh, standpoint, that's really helpful to me because I'm kind of an out of sight, out of mind kind of person. So I need to see something to remind me of stuff. And that even says sales tax due on the 20th, <laughs> stuff like sure. that. So that's one way that I keep my jobs organized. And so that way, when I get a call from a client, I can glance at that and go, you know, I can, I can't do it today or tomorrow, but the next, the third day I can, I can jump on that for you. And that helps me manage those as they come in because a lot of these companies, there's multiple people doing multiple pitches. So I may hear from three or four different people at the same company 
even though they're all being directed by one person. Sometimes all that stuff will come through that one person. Sometimes the individual people will call me. So I just have to kind of... And you can't trust that they all know about each other. Right. Yeah, they don't. You you have to manage their collisions yourself. Yeah. And and there have been times where I'll have to go back to the maybe the, the person who's over them all and say, I've got these two jobs, which one do you want me to give the priority to? Because they're both asking for it at the same time. Yeah, I've kind of learned, like I said earlier, I've kind of learned each client how they how they operate. Some of them will not call me until they've got a meeting scheduled, and that means it's probably a pretty short time to do this. Other people will say, how's your, how's it looking the next couple of weeks? I've just kind of learned each client and how to function with each of them. But I just try to uh, so when I'm getting information from a client, I'll, I'll have that initial phone conversation and I'm just taking notes furiously. Every de- everything they say, every little detail, I'm going to write it down so that and, and kind of throw that in the pot when I'm when I'm starting to sketch. I'm, I'll go back and make sure I've covered everything that's on my notes. Uh, so then I'll, I'll speaking specifically of these concept sketches, I'll usually do a really rough sketch and I'm working in Photoshop. I'm working on a digital tablet, a Wacom uh, high def 24 inch tablet and I used to work in Corel Painter and now I work in Photoshop and I'll sketch that out I'll send them uh, a JPEG of the sketch we'll talk again they'll say uh, this looks great it's changed now <laughs> can you move this over here or now we want two tents now that I see this I realize I need to make this bigger things like that so that's why the sketch is important and something you might want to touch on later with this industry, because these are concepts, they're very fluid and they change during the process. So I require them to let me build them hourly rather than quoting things mm-hmm. because you can't do it. You can't quote it because it changes constantly. So Software is a lot like that too. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So, and, and everything you read, whether it's Graphic Artist Guild or whoever, says do not do that. Do not bill hourly. You're, lose, you're leaving money on the table by doing that. But in the, now there are jobs where I would say that's probably, that's true. But with these, because of the nature of them, uh, I keep a timesheet in 15-minute increments. Mm-hmm. And I bill from that timesheet. And I just, you know, I have a pretty high hourly rate. And they're okay with it. And nobody's... But it also constrains them so they don't go crazy, right? So they know yeah. that, that every decision they make is actually a billable decision. Yes. Uh, and so that, that keeps them from being that client that sends you 50 changes uh, right. every week. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and of course, they, they don't. the New York and LA people don't seem to think my rate's high. I, it seems like it's high, but, uh, you know, they don't seem to think so since I'm, since I'm working out of a smaller market. You know, they're used to illustrators in those bigger markets where I guess their rates are higher. So they're still happy with it, even even when it, the hours are building up. But I've, ne- I've really, I've hardly ever had anybody question where the bill ends up, you know, because they know, they see it. They right. see it in front of them, what's gone into that. And they've got a stream of, of delivery, right? They've got yes. uh, artifacts that you've continued to, to give them to expose to them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I went off on a tangent No, no that's there. fine. That's fine. That's fine. So we are we are nearing time here. So I want to zoom out a little bit and ask a few questions okay. before I turn it over to you for a little bit of feedback. Hindsight is twenty twenty. So if you could go back, what major decision would you change and why? A role you wouldn't have taken or maybe you've gone back to school to mm. become a business major or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That would not have gone well. <laughs> I... I mean, although I will say, I wish I had taken some business classes when I was in school. I think that's something that should be part of commercial side of art curriculum. Basically. Any creative education, yeah, yeah should. Absolutely. I mean, I don't care if it's drama, uh, voice acting, or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, some business foundational element should be part of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, you know, I that's a hard question for me because I think about where did I where did I have missteps? I mean, I can't. I love what I do so much. And, you know, I look at, I sit and draw pictures for people all day. I mean, I... It's okay for your answer to be, I wouldn't change a damn thing. I I, I mean, I'm trying to think. I I feel so blessed in the fact that the career that I have, and that I do something that I love, and I've been able to make a living at it this long, that I look back and I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a major decision that I've made that I regret, Uh, you know, Maybe there were maybe there were times when I'm like, well, I shouldn't have taken on that job because I I got over I got too stretched too thin or whatever. But I just don't I just don't think I don't think about them. I don't know about I can't think of anything that I would say that about. Okay, no, that's fair. 
Yeah. And I'm always happy to hear that answer. Yeah. If only because then uh, it's it's almost uh, when the guest realizes that themselves, yeah. they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of me is like, come up with something. You know, I mean, it's like I feel like I'm not being a good critical thinker or something. But I'm very, like I said, I'm very happy to have a job that I love and been able to do it for this long and hopefully uh, keep doing it for a while. Typically, I would ask, well, what's next for you, Danny? But I I think you've already kind of said it. I do have one thing. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, yeah. And so this is, so as I do this work, I guess one thing that I have a desire to do, it's still art related, but almost everything I do is very commercial. Well, I would love to start transitioning into doing more personal work. Okay. So personal expression. Yeah. And, And it would still be... Probably illustrative in nature, but it would be maybe something where I can sell limited edition prints. I've got NFTs. A... <laughs> yeah, we may have to talk about that. I don't get it. <laughs> well, I've got I've got a friend who's encouraging me to start doing some uh, YouTube or Skillshare type of sharing mm-hmm. my what I've learned and what you know about being an illustrator, and that's probably something I'm gonna. I'd love to work with Stick you on that. Stick my toe in the water on that. Yeah. So, well, thank you. I uh, uh, So anyway, but as far as the, the one thing that that really that I have a desire to do and this new studio is going to allow me to do is I've got the space now to keep an easel set up. If I want to do some painting, my, drawing, my old drawing table from college is in there. And for a long time, I've not had room. It's been a computer. I've been working digitally mm-hmm. for 25 years, I guess. So all that stuff, it's very rare that I do an actual natural media piece. And I'd like to start doing a little more of that. And I would like to start, and even if it's digital, I'd like to start doing some things that where I'm marketing prints or posters or whatever mm-hmm. that are coming from me. And it's not just me responding to a client's need. And so that is, hopefully there's a transition period that's, I've been saying this for a while, and my up until COVID anyway, my rendering business keeps growing, and I like it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn that down. But at some point, I feel like I need to start. I mean, so I'm turning sixty next year. So I've been doing this for a while. I don't really see uh, myself as somebody who's going to retire because my hobby is my career. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to keep doing this, but I, I do see how it might change uh, as I go. Well, you might want to, like, for example, tweak your rate, like just start charging a little bit more and then yeah. naturally winnow out some of the, the the lower rate payers, so to speak. Yeah. So you're doing a little bit less of that work, but making the same money, which would then allow you a little bit more time to start yeah. in, that's this a good new, point. in this new direction. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Particularly since you mentioned that the larger markets that you're getting a lot of your work from don't even blink, right? Because you're charging... Local market rates, not high, high, yeah. you know, big city market rates. Yeah, so maybe there's some wiggle room there. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I would still think it's a high rate, but I've I've even, I get to know these clients pretty well, and I've asked them, you know, is this uh, like they will say, oh, your rate's reasonable, and then I'll say, well, so tell me, is you know, is you know, if I was in that market, would that be considered a low rate or? A, and he's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's not it's a lot low, but it's reasonable. And, but there are higher ones, mm-hmm. you know. And but he said, well, what we get from you is so worth what we pay you. And so, but that's a great point to start kind of, I guess, managing how much of that work I'm doing to free up that time. Because that's, that is the biggest issue is time. Yeah. when am I going to do that painting I wanted to do? <laughs> well, all, all of us that have these, these uh, one-to-one relationships with our time, like I go out and I fly drones, right? I have to be there. I have to be piloting the drone. Right? I have to be editing the video. It's just me and my time one-on-one. Yeah. So I'm looking at the same thing. I want to start doing some things that, that allow me to have kind of a force multiplier on my mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So I spend you know eight hours doing something, and then I can leverage that eight hours multiple times, maybe thousands of times. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. So that's, that's, and that's why I think this NFT thing for creatives is really interesting. Uh, so we can we can definitely have a a, a lunch uh, conversation around that stuff. I'd love to talk about that because I, I don't quite get it, but I see that there's some people that have have made some money on that and found a different market for their work. And there's some other aspects to that as well. It's not just about the money; it's about the 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 permanence or the impermanence of someone's work. Okay. And so if you're putting something on a, on a blockchain or a ledger, a distributed ledger, your work is becoming decentralized. It's not just in one place. It's right. not just in your portfolio cabinet in your office, right? It's 
it's across the world in, in millions of databases. Right. And it, it's irrevocable. You, your work can't be destroyed anymore. It's always associated with you as an artist, mm-hmm. as an identity. Uh, and then there are systems now in place where if you sell that, uh, and then that person that bought it, they sell it. You can actually set it up as a smart contract so that anytime it gets resold, you're getting a residual. Yeah. Right. I've, yeah. I've, I've listened to a lot of uh, uh, interviews, read a lot of articles about that. It's really fascinating. I, I, I Like I said, I don't, I don't totally grasp what's going on. It's well, like that Bob Dylan line. There's something happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? <laughs> Who's this Bob Dylan? <laughs> He's on my shirt right here. <laughs> Can you think of anybody who might have a great career story to tell me? Oh, um, I'm sure I can't. I don't have any. I can, when I read the, your, the question there, you might we might be talking about that. I wish I had spent a little more time thinking about that. I'm sure I do. This is a great format. You, you I, can reach out to me after. I will anytime. do that. <laughs> I will do that because I think this is, you know, I've listened to several of these interviews and I think this is a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great format. It's a great dialogue, the way you've got it set up and the fact that it's kind of long form really allows you to get into things. And it's just a, a nice conversational tone. So I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here and I, I think it's a great thing. So I definitely will have some people to recommend. Good deal. Well, thanks very much, Danny. Uh, I hope you have uh, enjoyed this as much as I have. I have. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope this finds somebody else as well. Uh, I know when I when I listen to a podcast that just hits me at the right point in time, it's it's always just uh, it's amazing. So, uh, listeners out there, maybe you're thinking about switching careers or starting a career in the arts. Maybe you just need a fabulous illustration or a logo, right? Um, <laughs> or or a uh, experiential design. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so speaking of listeners, uh, to you fine folks out there, the only thing I ask is if you enjoyed this episode, if this chatter about the unique ways that folks end up in the roles is interesting to you, please leave a review. Whatever platform you're listening to, uh, and if you feel so inclined, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, stay focused on your why.